Today's guest is Frank Mazio. This is one of our From the Archives podcasts that we recorded over a year ago, but it's still terrific content. Frank and I talk about how he got into intellectual property law, what it was like working above a sandwich shop as an attorney. For me, that would be totally impossible, but he managed to make it work. Uh, I think it's an interesting episode and I think you'll enjoy. Frank, before we started recording, you mentioned uh, you might say something stupid, but don't worry. Our audience uh, appreciates everything stupid because it's mostly lawyers. So they do not care what you say. They're still going to leave five star reviews uh, or one star reviews. As long as they're leaving reviews, I don't care. But you don't need to worry about it. That's the beauty of podcasting. It can all be edited to make us both sound smart or not smart. This is my kind of podcast then, Josh. Excellent. Well, thanks for coming on board. Uh, So you're our first, I think our first intellectual property lawyer. Um, what I think of as like, quote unquote, smart people law uh, that I don't understand. How did you get into that? Are you just like really, really smart? You were an engineer. You know, how did you how did you end up as an IP lawyer? Well, uh, definitely not really, really smart. I'll get that out of the way first. Um, I um, I got it's kind of a long story. I'll make it short. I was pre-med in college. Didn't work out. Didn't really wasn't really sure I wanted to do that. And uh, organic chemistry kind of pose the problem as well. Um, as it often I, does, the, the yeah. maker or breaker. Yeah. Um, but I was smart enough to at least take a couple more biology courses because I had so many to have a biology minor. Um, and then fast forward like two or three years into my practice of law when I first when I first started, I was doing a lot of personal injury. I wasn't that crazy about it. And I, uh, I realized that if I took three more science courses, I could be a patent attorney. I noticed that there's only about 18,000 18, patent attorneys in the whole country as opposed to a million regular attorneys. So talked to some people. And I figured this might be a good niche. Uh, got into it. Uh, didn't realize at the time that there was actually a lot of attorneys with PhDs in biology, which I was nowhere near having a PhD in biology. Um, so I actually never really practiced a lot of uh, writing biological patents, but it got me, it was my ticket into the field. Um, I ended up doing more litigation, intellectual property litigation, and uh, trademarks, uh, some patent work. But um, yeah, it was just a convoluted road. Um, and uh, it's a great niche. Uh, you know, it's probably the best career move I've made looking back. Um, so it's worked out pretty well. And you like it better than the person? You didn't find that the biology helped in the personal injury? You knew all the bones, right? <laughs> and all the organs and all that stuff that you need to know as a PI lawyer, I'm guessing. Uh, it's funny you should say that. It, some, in those early days, as I was pouring through these medical reports and dissecting how a car accident happened in a, at an intersection, I was like, if I was going to do this, I should have just gone to medical school. Um, but, uh, you know, it's uh, it, it could have been a good field for me, too. But this turned out to be pretty well. And now you you didn't just get a JD, right? You, you didn't instead of medical school. You went to business school. Yeah, well, actually, I, I started um, my master's in business slightly before um, law school and kind of finished it during law school uh, in the summers. Um, didn't really use that degree too much, um, but it's, you know, lets me put a couple more letters after my name. Right. That's what everyone wants. So law school, it sounds like was really your last choice. You were thought you were going to go to medical school. Then you thought you were going to go to business school and then neither of those worked out. So you said, well, I guess I'll just become a lawyer. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I knew I wanted to do something more than just the, the four years of college because I was a little insecure that that wouldn't be enough for me. Um, and uh, 
yeah, you know, I took the LSAT, did pretty well on it. That gave me some, uh, you know, feelings that this would be a good area for me. And I, someone once told me that there's, there's no one particular job that's best for you necessarily. There's probably four or five. And you just got to find one of those four or five. And I, I think I did that. And how many do you think you're working on right now? <laughs> uh, now it's probably just the one, just, uh, you know, having my own, um, well, being a partner in a, in a small firm and, Doing doing that is is pretty much all I'm doing. And do you think that the MBA? Because something actually I've been you know, speaking to someone about is, oh, should I go back and get an MBA? And I decided I'm not going to. But did you find that having that MBA helps running a practice, or is it so unrelated that it's doesn't matter? Um, you know, I had this debate with my wife all the time because I keep telling her that MBA really didn't do much good for me, and she said, "Well, it helps you run your practice." And I said, "No, nah, not really. I think uh, I think uh, just having some business." Uh, you know, common sense helps with the practice more than anything I learned in the MBA program. Yeah. That's what most people say. Is your wife also a lawyer? No, no. She's, um, she actually uh, helps me in, in the office. She's our firm administrator. She uh, bills the clients and takes care of everything pretty much. Oh, so you work together. Yeah. Yep. Is that how you met or did you hire her after? No, no. We, um, we, we met right after uh, we both graduated college. Um, she, in a, in her prior life, she was, um, an art director. She was, uh, in charge of an army of art, of art, of graphic artists. Um, then she stopped working when we started having kids. And, uh, and then I, you know, I recruited her at some point to come help me out. And, uh, it's been, been good for me. I think I'm not sure how great, how much she likes it, but uh, you know, it's great having somebody like her taking care of the important stuff and running a practice. Yeah, of course. So she does she work out of the same office as you? Yeah, yeah, just a few feet away. Yep. Is she there right now? No, no. She she had some errands to run this morning. Okay. okay. Uh, so you guys every day are in an office a few feet from each other. Yeah, yeah, we are. And how long have you been married? Um, twenty six years. All right. So my wife and I have been married less than that, and during the pandemic, we spent you know, three months in a basement office together, about six feet apart. And I thought she was either going to murder me in my sleep, poison my coffee, uh, or just divorce me at the end of those few months. So what is the secret? How do you uh, not kill each other? Uh, Well, in my, I I mentioned um, before the show that I grew up in the family business. My my parents had a cheesesteak and hoagie place and they worked together all the time. So I had that as an example. And I think it was tougher for them because they, you know, they were running it together with my, my wife and I, you know, I do the the lawyer part. She does the, her part. So, you know, if we had to like try a case together, I think that'd be kind of hard. Um, but, you know, we kind of have our own part of, of the practice of what we do here. Um, so it works out. Okay. But like I said, probably better for me than for her. Yeah. Do you think she's at, you know, with her friends and saying, oh, another day and Frank's talking about this and that and, you know, complaining about whatever you're doing. I mean, the thing that drives my wife crazy is me on the phone or in court just talking all day because all I do is talk. Um, And, you know, she has to listen because she's kind of a few feet away. So that would be her complaint. But it sounds like you do not get those complaints. No, no, I think she probably keeps it to herself. That's good. Right. More likely. Well, also, you're like kind of a boss, so it's a little bit of a different dynamic. Or do you not yeah, bring that up often? Yeah. Uh, no, it's uh, in a way, it's kind of nice because at home, she's more the boss, like, you know, move that shrub over here. I want this over there. Uh, this is my little domain where 
I'm more the boss than she is. But yeah, at least I like to think that. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you. Now, I want to get back to something you said that your parents had a cheesesteak and hoagie place. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So we'll, we'll dig into that just for a second. But first, what is the what is your preferred? What does it still exist? What say that again? Does the hoagie shop still exist? No, no. They they retired about ten years ago. Okay, so, so that means you can that. answer without conflict. Uh, where do you go for your cheesesteaks and hoagies now? Well, uh, fortunately, right across the street from us, there's a great place called Goombas uh, here in Hatfield. Um, they have great cheesesteaks and hoagies. Um, I have a, I have a, a cousin in the business, Nambler Costas. They're really great cheesesteaks, milkshakes. Uh, so there's there's a you know a lot of a lot of good places. Uh, sometimes I'll even resort to Wawa, but not too often. I would hope not too often when you got family members in the business. Right, right. So then the important question becomes in making a cheesesteak, you know, what is the cheese onion like situation? What's the right way to do it? Uh, I'm not I'm not a fan of cheese whiz. We we uh, we always used to use just regular American cheese slices. Uh, Sauce, which is the marinara, marinara tomato sauce and uh, fried onions. Those are the uh, the staples of the cheesesteak usually. Okay. And what do you think makes a Philly cheesesteak better than like when I'm in Pittsburgh and they have a quote unquote Philly cheesesteak and it tastes like garbage? Is it just the bread? Is it the fact that they don't know how to slice up the steak? What do you think it is? More than anything, it's the bread. No, no question. The roll, the roll makes it because you could duplicate some of the other things, but the bread's hard to duplicate when you get outside of Philadelphia. Yeah, why is that? Is it because the, the, there's just enough pollution in the water to make the bread yummy, or what's the what's the story there? I don't know. I don't know. But it's uh, the bread does doesn't taste right uh, when you when you go when you leave the area. Now I tend to agree. Uh, so you you grew up in a hoagie shop. Did you work in the cheesesteak and hoagie shop? Did you ever run it? How involved were you? Yeah. Well, uh, they opened it when I was eleven. I was the oldest of four. Uh, so we all four of us worked in it a lot. Um, yeah, I um, I worked in it a lot. I uh, even during law school, I used to. I mean, not law school. When I was a practicing lawyer, I, I worked uh, in Shalfont nearby, and uh, there were a couple times I'd come over for lunch, and uh, my parents would say, "Where well, I probably volunteered to run an order on my way back to the office, deliver an order." So, uh, yeah, it, it was you know, it was the family business. So, you know, we're always working in it to some extent. And did your car always smell like cheesesteaks and hoagies? Um, well, it's probably one of those things where I didn't really notice it. Somebody else would have to tell me that, but not so much. I don't think. Okay. You weren't getting like complaints of people getting in your car and being like, God, it smells horrible in here or it smells delicious. I'm so hungry. Everyone's always hungry in my car. <laughs> nah, not too much. I think that that smell kind of goes away pretty fast. Okay. Well, I had a buddy in college who, uh, was a delivery driver for a pizza place and he had to sell his car because he couldn't get rid of the smell of pizza. So Maybe that's, you know, because he was doing it every day. Yeah, yeah. I, I can see that happening. Now, what about your, because your office is above where the hoagie shop was, right? Right. So does right. your whole office smell like hoagies? How would you, aren't you hungry all the time? What's the story? I can't even be within a hundred feet of a sandwich shop without, you know, my stomach gurgling. And as a former now, fat kid, yeah, that would be very difficult for me. Well, when I, um, when I first went out on my own, originally I was just, just me, um, the natural place for me to open my office was uh, in the same building where my parents had their cheesesteak and hoagie place because they had office space upstairs um, and they were still, they still had the place at that point. Um, so it was, it was great, you know, free lunches and everything. Uh, but then they kind of had the nerve to retire on me. And uh, mm -hmm. so I lost that benefit. Um, and um, 
uh, right now there's, there's no restaurant at all in the building. So, you know, there's not, sometimes I, I smell it from across the street, but it's not too much of a problem anymore. But it didn't soak into the walls of uh, where you are. No, no, I was upstairs, so it didn't, uh, didn't really affect me that much. And how much weight did you put on when you started working above the shop and having <laughs> cheesesteaks for lunch every day? Uh, I actually lost weight because uh, I, I, uh, I left the firm in the city. I was commu- you know, get, getting up early and commuting into the city and a little bit of an unhealthy lifestyle. So, um, you know, having my own firm, I could um, work out in the mornings. And so overall, it was a, it was a, a benefit. And what's your workout of choice? Do you, are you a runner, a biker, lifter? Um, I, um, especially now with the pandemic, uh, I work out in my basement. I do uh, planks, uh, burpees, or what I call them middle-aged man burpees, not, not real burpees, um, things like that. And I, and I've walked, I walk a lot more since the pandemic. Um, I, I pretty much just do that kind of routine five days a week. Nice. Yeah. Well, five days a week's a lot. That's, that's more than I'm doing these days. That's for sure. So you went out, you, you were in the city working for a firm, didn't like it. You decided to go out on your own. Were you a solo? Right off the yeah. Back? Originally. I, yeah. Originally I was a solo. Um, and as a solo, you know, you, you, you network with other attorneys. So I had a group of friends that were patent attorneys. Um, uh, you know, you kind of need each other, bounce ideas off of and get help. Uh, and eventually me and um, three other patent attorneys decided to form a, a firm. We did that in 2009. Um, and uh, one, one of the four retired. Um, so there's three of us. But, you know, we're exclusively intellectual property law. We're all patent attorneys. Um, you know, some of us do more litigation. Others do more patent prosecution. Um, but it's, you know, we picked up some associates along the way. So it's been pretty good. Now, do the patent prosecutors, do they get a badge like a regular prosecutor? <laughs> uh, you know, he might have a badge. I wouldn't put it past him, but it doesn't wear it around me. I haven't noticed it. And he's never like kicked in a door and been like, patent prosecution, <laughs> show me your purpose of using this science or whatever yeah. you say in patents. Nah, nah, he, probably, nah, he hasn't done that yet. Well, at least, all right. Well, you know, there's still time. There's still time. Yeah. And do you think, how do you think growing up in kind of a small business environment uh, helped you or didn't help you or set your sights on your law career? Uh, I think it had a pretty big influence. I, I always, from day one, when I was an associate in a firm, I always had my eye on building a book of business, um, you know, the business side of it. Um, so, cause I, I grew up in that environment and then Later on, uh, going out on my own wasn't as scary as it might have been to some other people uh, because I saw my parents do it. It was kind of in my blood to you know just go out and have your own business. So it had a pretty big uh, influence on how my career path went, I think. And do you think your parents encouraged you or discouraged you? You know, some people want a different life for their kids and say, "Oh, don't do what I did. You know, just go work for someone, make your money, and." and be able to go home and sleep instead of worrying about your business all day. And some people say the opposite. I love what I do. It's great being your own boss, et cetera. I don't think they, they really, uh, you know, it, by their example, they influenced me, but they never really said one way or the other. Um, you know, they, um, you know, they're, they're, you know, they're, they didn't go to college. Um, 
you know, they, you know, were, there weren't too many lawyers in my family. So it wasn't like I was getting a lot of advice, like you should go on your own or you should work with a firm. It was kind of like, you know, I just kind of made up my mind about it myself. And they were like, I don't know. He's a lawyer. We don't understand what he does. That's kind of, yeah. Especially since I'm a intellectual property lawyer, they really, you know, who knows what Frank does up there in the office. Yeah, exactly. Do you find yourself at family parties and nobody really understands what you do? Uh, a little bit. Yeah. I, um, I, I remember once I, I, I told, I told my dentist, he asked me what kind of work I do. I said, I'm, a, I'm an intellectual property attorney. He didn't know what that meant. And, uh, ever since then, I just, I just say I'm a patent attorney because people kind of at least have an idea what I do when I say that. Yeah. No, criminal defense. That's what makes that easy. Although I've got, you know, like a brother-in-law that does something with an insurance company that I do not understand. And I say, I don't know. He's in business. He does something businessy, you know, that's good enough for people. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so we've got a couple of questions that I ask everyone that comes on. They're very important right. questions. The first one is this, uh, and obviously you've listened to the show or hopefully you have some, some guests have some guests haven't, but the Oxford comma, do you know what it is and what is your position on it? I know what it is and I'm a big fan of your show. So I'm very prepared for this question. Um, I appreciate I it. <laughs> I have a question for you about it at, at the end, but um, no, I, I do not use the Oxford comma. Um, as one of your prior guests said, uh, Carrie Hall, I do use it occasionally in a legal document if it's really, you know, really helpful for clarification, but normally I don't use it. And that's just the way I was taught. And I, I always, this is my question for you, because um, I was surprised to read somewhere that it's been around for a long time. I thought it was this Oxford comma was a new thing because we didn't learn it going to school, but it, I mean, do you know, has it been around for a while? Oh, yeah. 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 And I think the issue is it depends on if you've been taught like MPA or AP style. And I don't remember which one's which, uh, like, you know, in high school, when you learn how to write a paper or whatever, or college, because a couple of people have messaged me uh, saying, I'm going to check my messages right now. Like people have messaged me, us on Instagram uh, at interrogatories pod. And they have said, you know, oh, they're diehard. Uh, Oxford comma users or they're diehard, not an Oxford comma users. What did this person say? AP style does not use the Oxford comma. So um, somebody wrote in and said, oh, I'm hundred percent AP trained. I would never use an Oxford comma. That's crazy talk. And this is the nerdiest conversation I've ever had, but yes, that is, I think that is the difference AP versus MPA. And I'm sure people will write in and say, that's not what it is. And that's fine. Um, they can write in or comment and let us know that we're wrong, but yeah, it's been around as far as I know for, ages as okay. an English language, you know, thing. Interesting. I, th I thought it was a new thing. I thought it was one of those things when, um, that colleges look for when they try to figure out whether a parent wrote the, uh, the essay or the student did, like if, if it's, if there's no Oxford commas, that means the parent probably wrote it. If there are, then the kid wrote it because it oh. seemed like, there's, you know, that that's how you tell a, a, somebody old like me, as opposed to somebody younger. Is this something you've researched when you've been writing your own kids' college essays and trying to figure out like what are the giveaways? Uh, well, you don't have to comment. Hold on, I, I, criminal I, I, defense attorney I, I, hat. Yeah, you know, feel I free did, to stay uh, silent. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. If, I don't know if your disclaimer in this podcast covers this, but um, uh, I I do uh, proof my my kids' college essays a little bit, give them some hints. I, they they definitely write them, but I I guess you know we've had we've had three go through college now or in college. And uh, one of the things you read, you know, pick up on is, uh, you know, different things that admissions officers look for. And somewhere I saw that, that they they look for things like that. Like if there's 
two spaces between sentences. That's something that somebody who went to school in the 80s does. But yeah. somebody who just graduated doesn't do that. Things like that. Yeah. Where do your kids go to school? Uh, my son is actually about to start Temple Law School in a couple of weeks. Um, where um, he got a, a full scholarship. We're pretty proud of him. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. My my second one is my daughter. She um, just graduated from Villanova University and she's going to go to law school next year. So she's studying for the LSATs like my son did this past year. Um, my third one, a daughter, is um, studying nursing at University of Pennsylvania. And our, our last one um, is a daughter and she's uh, going to be a junior at Satterton High School. So you got three kids in college and then a fourth on the way or three kids that have, are you're paying for four college tuitions in other words. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. And beyond. Yeah. Right. So you, any thoughts on retiring or is that like uh, not in your future at all? No, no. Yeah. I, I think I'm going to follow the footpath of uh, my first boss who I worked till he was about 90 years old. Yep. I hear that. Uh, so well, full ride to temple. That's pretty exciting. And do you think of the, uh, the daughter, that's the nurse, is she kind of the black sheep, not going to law school? Uh, or, or is that something you've encouraged get out of the law? I don't know why these other two are doing it. I I'm not sure. I, I think she's got a secret plan to become a patent attorney actually, because she's the only one who's got a science background. I think she might do a surprise on us and uh, go to law school later or something. Or become uh, like a, uh, um, expert. You know, I have a friend that I think kind of went that route because she did mock trial with us, even though she was a nursing student, everyone else was poli sci. So we knew we had to do something with our degrees. And she uh, was in nursing school and I think went on to do like expert witness testimony as an RN. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, in all seriousness, I, no, I think she's uh, she's she's pretty uh, gung ho with uh, nursing. She, I think she wants to become an anesthesiologist nurse. So I think she's pretty well set. And they changed the requirements for those recently, right? And we don't have to go down that track, but I know a buddy of mine is an anesthesiologist nurse. And it was like right after he graduated, they made it so you have to do a lot more stuff to become an anesthesiologist, which sounds like it's good because it's a very tricky job. Yeah, I don't know if it's recent, but you definitely need to get at least a master's degree beyond the nursing degree. Oh, I say recent, but I guess this was probably about 10 years ago. <laughs> so that's uh, now even I'm aging myself. Uh, so, okay. What is the weirdest tradition your family has? Um, I wouldn't say it's weird, but, but the tradition we have, and this, this is my extended family, this is my parents and my, my siblings. Um, and it's, it's not weird at all because we're Italians, but we have spaghetti every Sunday it's called Sunday spaghetti. Um, Original. And, yeah. <laughs> that's our, that's our little twist on it. Yeah. Um, but that's uh you know, that's a tradition. It's uh you know, we've been doing that, all the time. We even, you know, even through the pandemic, we had many cold uh, spaghettis outside with a fire and a lot of Zoom spaghettis. Um, but it's a uh, it's a nice tradition that we have. So wait, this is your whole extended family has spaghetti? Yeah. Yeah. My mom uh, makes it. She's a great cook, as most Italian moms are. And um, uh, my brother and sisters come over and their families and, you know, all the cousins get together. It's not always, you know, we, we never have 100% attendance because everyone's got different things to do, but there's usually some people there. So there's a standing Sunday, 20 people, extended family dinner, essentially. Yeah, well, 20 would be about 100% attendance, but... but that, that actually sounds really sweet. Um, yeah, it's nice. Yeah. That sounds like a very nice tradition. What is something that people are obsessed with that you just don't understand the point of? Um, 
I would say this is real specific, but uh, for a while, I guess people still do this on Snapchat. They put, you know, bunny ears on their faces and caricatures and things like that. And I, I guess that's funny the first time, but I never understood why that was a big hit. Uh, there's a lot to unpack in that, what you just said. Uh, mostly, how oh, much really? time are you spending on Snapchat? And does your wife know that you have an account? <laughs> I have a Snapchat account just because uh, I, I needed to communicate with a couple of my kids because they don't ah. seem to respond to texts, but they, they respond to my Snapchats for some reason. But uh, other than that, no, I'm not really on there. I just uh, kind of look over my uh, daughter's shoulder while she's looking at somebody's you know, right. uh, message. Make sure they're not up to anything. Uh, you don't approve of that's the thing right. once they get as one of our last guests said once the once the kids get social media everything gets a little bit more complicated yes it's very true uh what is something you get wrong almost every time you do it uh i'm terrible at picking the uh the shortest line whether it's at a uh at the bank or you know line of cars it's always the one i pick always ends up being the longest one or at least so it seems, you know, they say you should just stay in whatever you're in and that's always going to work out best. I've tried all kinds of strategies, Josh. I, I stayed, I moved. I always get the wrong line. Oh, you know, I was hoping, because I noticed that during the pandemic, a lot of stores were like forming one line and then routing people like at Costco or the supermarket, which they, and this is like, now I'm real nerdy. Like that's what they say in social science is the best way to do it is just have one line and then get people to the front and send them to register to register for whatever. And they were doing that during COVID at Costco and a few other places. And it was great, but now lockdowns are over and they stopped doing it. So we're back to inefficiency. Yeah. I like that. Less stress for me to have to make a decision, especially at Costco, because it's like the aisles are there. I mean, like, you know, the, the aisles don't line up with where the lines are. So then people are stretched all over the place and it's like a little bit of an amalgamation and nobody knows where to go. It's not yeah. a great system at Costco. No. Nah. Uh, do you have any superstitions? Um, I don't have any superstitions, um, but, uh, this, I wouldn't say this is a superstition, but I never skip a meal or practically never. Like I was running late this morning for this podcast and I still, you know, force myself to eat breakfast. I just feel like if I don't have a, a meal, uh, something bad is going to happen. I think that kind of ties back to the marriage advice because most of my fights are when I'm hungry. So maybe uh, maybe you not skipping meals is what's helped you stay together for 21 years. Yeah, yeah, maybe you should. Yeah, you should try living the Frank Mazio lifestyle. Maybe there you go. You. I will. Yeah. I think next time somebody asks you, oh, what's your secret? You could say I never skip a meal. Right, right. And I, I always have a Snickers with me. Yeah, that's yeah. Never, never go to bed mad. That's not that's overrated. It's skipping, a, not skipping a meal. That's what's important. Yeah, I think that's uh, I think that's pretty good advice, but it's not. Uh, the answer to the next question, or maybe it is, what's the best piece of advice you've ever been given? Um, again, I'm not going to, not really directly answering the question, but um, this is a piece of advice. I guess I picked up uh, various places. I, I read a book. It really kind of, uh, you know, made this point. And that's that um, like, uh, like for example, to be a CEO, you don't have to be a particular type of person. I mean, there's some CEOs are really, you know, highly respected. Others are really nice and people like them for that reason. Um, so, you know, sometimes I feel like, you know, when I was in law schools, like I'm, I, I thought everyone here must really be, you know, like love to argue. Um, but you don't have to be a person who loves to argue to be a good lawyer. 
So it's kind of like, you know, you don't, there's not one particular type of person that is best for, you know, different jobs. What book was it? So wait, is the advice be yourself regardless of the job? Is the advice, uh, no matter what the job is, there are people that can do it. Narrow it down for me. Um, well, the book, I actually took it out because I thought it, you might ask me this, is called The Charisma Myth okay. by Olivia Cabane. Um, and it's, uh, you know, ha- how anyone can develop per- personal magnetism. But, you know, what I got out of it was that they went through different CEOs of different companies. And, you know, one guy was successful because he was a certain way. Another, you know, a woman was successful because she was a totally different, but she was just as successful and people loved her just as much. Um, so it wasn't like there was, you know, there's one personality type that you have to be, you know, for a certain position. So you can, things work. right. Your personality can achieve your goals. You don't have to fit into a mold. Right. Right. Just nice. I I guess, you know, be yourself basically. Right. Exactly. People can smell fake a mile away and that's no matter what job you're in really. Yeah. Excellent. I like that advice. And it's the charisma myth you said. Yeah. The charisma myth. All right. Well, I'm going to check it out or at least check out the Blinks on Blinkist. Have you checked out Blinkist yet? They're not a sponsor, so I don't want to talk about them for too long, but it's like an app where you, they summarize books and you can kind of read through them that way. No, no, I never heard of that. You should check it out. I mean, if you have an Amex account, if you have an American Express card, I think it's like free for the first year. Oh, okay. So that's something we're checking out. It's the kind of thing where you can then like read a book in 10 minutes and get the idea of it. And then if you want to read the full book, you know, go get it from the library or buy it or whatever. Right, right. That's pretty useful. Yeah. People are getting all kinds of advice on this show. <laughs> what what to put on what to put on their cheesesteaks, not to try to fit into a mold, what books to buy, what apps to check out. So I think it's gonna be pretty beneficial to people. I agree. Yeah. Well, hey Frank, I appreciate you coming on. Uh thanks a lot for spending the time and thanks for being a, a listener. And I'll talk to you soon. Thank you, Josh. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Interrogatories with Josh Campson. This podcast is a production of the Montgomery Bar Association in Norristown, Pennsylvania. Views expressed during the podcast are those of the participants and not their employers or the Montgomery Bar Association. No content in this podcast should be construed as legal advice. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe to Interrogatories, which is available wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave us that five-star rating and review. For more information, visit us at www.montgomerybar.org.